Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm Carrick Butler, the pastor of Faith Christian Center. Thanks for tuning in today. We believe today's message is going to help you live this lifestyle of faith. It's going to empower you to live a life that makes Jesus famous wherever you go. Open up your heart. We know God has something special just for you. And we believe that as you listen to today's message, something good is going to happen to you. So listen up. I'll talk to you today at the end of our broadcast. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost says, today, if you will hear his voice and harden not your hearts. As we said last week, we went through all those scriptures. The issue at hand is your heart. The most dangerous and damning thing in the entire world is a hardened heart. The most dangerous and damning thing in the entire world is a hardened heart. So today, if you'll hear his voice and harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, the day of temptation in the wilderness, and we'll get that, to that later on in the series. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years, wherefore I was grieved with that generation, and said, They do always err in their heart, and they have not known my ways. So I swear in my wrath they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief, and departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened, talking about your heart, through the deceitfulness of sin. So if you go on that process, the deceitfulness of sin we talked about last week, your heart will become harder and harder and harder. For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. While it is said today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts as in the provocation. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. One of the things we're going to do in this series is show you different things that can cause your heart to be hardened, how you can stop it from happening, and if you're already in the process of one of these things, how you can backpedal and turn to have a healed heart, a soft heart. Proverbs chapter 4. Verse 20. My son, attend to my words, incline your ears unto my sayings. Let them not depart from your eyes. Keep them in the midst of your heart, for they are life unto those that find them, and health or medicine to all their flesh. That's what the word health means. Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. That word keep means to guard. It means to watch as a watchman. This word diligence is actually the word in the Hebrew for a word, a ward, a place of confinement, or a guard post. The word diligence is for a ward, a place of confinement, or a guard post. So what is it saying when it says keep your heart with all diligence? It's saying guard your heart above all things that are to be guarded. And so just like we take this approach when it concerns our home, concerns our places of work, when it concerns our car or places of high-level security, we implement certain things to make sure those things are safe, to make sure those things are secure. We even have places, you know, in our nation and places around the world that have higher levels of security because of what's behind the doors or what is being protected. And so the scripture is saying above all things you would do to protect the most thing, valuable thing that needs to be protected, above all those efforts, guard your heart. It's not saying do all those, don't do all those things to guard those things. Those things are important. You should guard your home. You should guard your car. You should guard where you work. Guarding those things are important. But with all that effort you take to guard those things, put even more effort into guarding your heart. 
Why? Because from your heart flows the issues of life. That word issue means forces, borders, springs, sources, and outgoings. That word means forces, borders, springs, sources, and outgoings. So what goes in your heart and how you allow your heart to be conditioned causes the borders of your life to be set. From your heart springs different things, different forces that change things in your life. It flows from your heart. So the condition of your heart will affect what you see in your everyday life. And to give you an example of what happens, I want to tell you a story about a friend of Jesus. Go to Mark 14. Mark chapter 14. A friend of Jesus. Now, one of the things you have to understand about Jesus' disciples, especially the 12, they weren't just people who went to Jesus' Bible school or Jesus' ministry school, that they went for five days and they got taught for a couple hours and went home. They're not just people who worked for Jesus and they spent, you know, 40 hours a week with them and then went home. These guys spent most of their time with Jesus. They traveled with him. They stayed with him. You know, Jesus took care of what they needed. These are people who did life with him. You see, as you studied out the Gospels, not only did they did work things or ministry things, they went to weddings together. They, they went fishing together. They took a vacation together. They did life together. And you will see what Jesus called those apostles. He called them his friends. And so let's see Mark chapter 14. Start in verse 3. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at me, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment of spikenard, very precious, and she broke the box and poured it on Jesus' head. And there were some there that had indignation within themselves and said, why was this waste of ointment made? For it should have been sold for more than 300 pence and been given to the poor, and they murmured against her. Have you ever wondered, some of you may already know, but have you ever wondered what disciple said that? What disciple was so full of indignation that they spoke up about something Jesus was okay with happening? Let's go to John chapter 12. Because, you know, this whole phrase, like, you know, why do they just take that and give to the poor? You know, we hear that on the news media all the time. And, you know, sometimes people don't always realize who they're quoting. And I found out in life, you should know who you're quoting. John chapter 12 Verse 1, same story, gives you a little bit more information here. Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which has been raised from the dead, who, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made a supper, and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with them. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag. He was the treasurer, and he carried what was in. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my bearing has she kept this. For the poor always you'll have with you, but me, not always. Let's go back to Mark 14. Wow. 
How does this connect? Stay with me for a second. Mark 14. Verse 9, Verily I say unto you, Wheresoever this gospel shall be preached throughout the whole world, this also that she has done will be, shall be spoken for a memorial of her. And Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, one of the twelve apostles, one of the friends of Jesus, one of those who was sitting right there at the table, he said, why didn't we take this and sell it and put the money in the treasury and give to the poor? Now, he didn't care about the poor, as John commented. He just wanted to take some of that money. And Jesus said, no, you leave her alone. What she did was right. What she did was correct. And Jesus checked him. Judas didn't like the check, and he didn't like the fact that he was not going to be able to steal from the treasury from this very expensive perfume that was brought to Jesus. He thought it was a waste being poured out on Jesus. Notice what it says here. And Judas Iscariot, this happened right afterwards, one of the twelve, went unto the chief priests to betray him unto them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Go back to John, but this time John chapter 13. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. You know the word put in means to inject? How did that betrayal thought get injected into Judas? Where was the open door? Because you have to understand, Satan had been trying everything to stop Jesus. He tried through temptations and it didn't work. He tried to get people to take his life before. It didn't work. Satan has not been able to stop Jesus. So you know he was watching, watching for an opportunity. And now Jesus is at the table with some of his closest friends. You have the 12, which are the friends of Jesus. But then you also have Lazarus, Mary, and Martha, who are also close, very close friends of Jesus. You're at Simon's house. So this is a very intimate setting. And Judas, full of indignation. Yes, he had problems before. Yes, he was a thief, but all all the apostles had problems. They all had. You studied them out. They all had different issues. But even though he had the issues before, the enemy wasn't able to put this in him until he got offended at what Jesus said. He was offended at Jesus' response. He was offended that Jesus did not agree with him. He was offended at the word that Jesus spoke. And in that moment of offense and leaving that table offended, instead of just disagreeing or putting it aside, he came into a place of offense and the door was open for Satan to sow that seed and inject into his heart that thought of betrayal. And what did Judas do? Immediately, he went to the chief priest and acted on his offense, acted on that betrayal that was in his heart, and acted on his greed, trying to get some money for the money he didn't get because he couldn't steal from the perfume. What opened up Judas to this? Offense. Operating offense leads you to dangerous places, including, after a while, a hardened heart, which is the most dangerous and damning thing in the world. 
Let's go to Matthew 11. But as we turn there, I want you to consider something because we think of Judas, Judas because of how many thousands of years have gone by now. His name is synonymous with betrayal as a villain. You know, he, and when we hear his name, that's what we think of. But I want to remind you that Judas was anointed. Judas was called. Judas was an apostle. Judas did miracles. Judas cast out devils. Judas was effective. Judas was a friend of Jesus. Yet offense brought him to a place of betrayal. Offense can lead to a hardened heart. Go to Matthew chapter 11. And notice who he was offended at. Jesus. And there are still people today who are offended at Jesus. Matthew chapter 11. Verse 1, and it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Are you he that should come, or do we look for another? And there's so many times people preaching and share this story as a great spiritual question, that John the Baptist was searching for truth and just wanted to know the truth about Jesus, but that's not what happened. Remember, John the Baptist knew Jesus. John the Baptist is Jesus' older cousin by just a number of months. John the Baptist and Jesus have met as adults. I want to show you that John knew fully well who Jesus was. Well, how do you know that? Go to Matthew chapter 3. John knew full well who Jesus was. Matthew 3. Verse 13. Then comes Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of you, and you're coming to me. Now, what baptism was John talking about? As you studied out, John wanted to be baptized with the Holy Ghost. But that time hadn't come yet. But that's what he was after, and he knew it was available. And Jesus said, allow it to be so for now. That's what the word suffer means. For thus it becomes us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were open unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. John heard the voice. John saw the Spirit of God descend. He was right there. He was the one who baptized Jesus. Well, he said, well, how do you know John was sure of what happened? Go to John chapter 1. Now, of course... The Gospel of John is not written by John the Baptist, but is written by John, one of the 12 apostles. But in John chapter 1, the Apostle John takes a lot of time to talk about John the Baptist and his ministry. You'll see, skipping down to verse 29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming unto him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. So Jesus is coming by where John is preaching, and John stops whatever he's preaching on and says, Look, there he is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He knows who Jesus is. Then he says, This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I knew him not. This word knew means I didn't recognize or I, I didn't know he was the one. 
but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, I am come baptizing with water. And John bare record saying, here's something else John the Baptist said. I saw the spirit descending from heaven like a dove and it abode upon him. And I recognized him. I didn't realize it was him, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said unto me, upon whom you shall see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which baptizes with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record that this is the Son of God. Again, the next day, after John stood and two of his disciples, and looking upon Jesus as he walked, he said, Behold the Lamb of God. John the Baptist knew full well who Jesus was. This is happening at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. But now, months, maybe even a year later, something has happened to John. Let's go back to Matthew 11. What has happened to the great John the Baptist? the older cousin of Jesus. Matthew 11. You see, John was highly anointed, highly called, and he preached the word of God. And he preached the word in such a way the king and his wife did not like it because it called up their sin. So they had John the Baptist thrown in jail. Now, I'm sure John the Baptist didn't like being thrown in jail because he kept preaching while he was in jail. But he fully expected the Messiah, the Son of God, to show up for him because he's been faithful in his call. I'm sure he fully expected, even if he didn't know the Messiah would show up for him, he fully expected his cousin would show up for him. Back to Matthew 11. Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again. If you have to show them again, that means they had this conversation before. Those things which you do hear and see, the blind receive their sight, and the lame walk, and the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. So what was the issue with John the Baptist now? Offense. He became offended at Jesus. Because Jesus, he fully expected Jesus to get him out of prison, to get him out of the situation. So now he's in prison wondering why Jesus hasn't come through for him. And so while he's offended, he sends his disciples to say, hey, are you the person or have I wasted my time? Do I need to look for somebody else? What caused that questioning? What was the root? What was the motive? John was offended. And we know what happened next, not too long after that. Because of the evil of the people in power, John the Baptist lost his head. Now, I submit to you that even though John said, I decrease that he might increase and that I come before him, that did not mean John the Baptist had to die. It didn't. Because John the Baptist's ministry was preparing the way. And Jesus was going to be in ministry on earth for a little bit over three years, and then he would ascend to heaven. And then on Acts chapter 1, we see the Holy Spirit about to be given in Acts chapter 2. 
the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is given. What John the Baptist was looking for the entire time. He missed out what he really wanted. He was glad the Messiah was there, but he was looking forward to the baptism of the Holy Ghost, which came in Acts chapter 2. And could you imagine a Holy Ghost-filled John the Baptist? Yes, the Holy Ghost was already on him, but could you imagine a John the Baptist filled with the Holy Ghost, covered in the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues, and being sent out just like the apostles in the early church were? Imagine the ministry John the Baptist would have had still preparing the way for the work Jesus wanted to do. Could you imagine the impact you'd had on the early church as they're figuring out what to do, but now you have an elder in the church like John the Baptist? What type of impact would he have had on Israel? What type of impact would he have had among the Gentiles? Because of the anointing that's on his life. Yet his ministry got cut short, not just because of persecution, not just because of the attack of the enemy, but because he was a offended. Offense can cost you your head. Offense can cut your ministry and calling short. Offense can cost you your life. Offense can lead to a hardened heart, the most dangerous and damning thing in the world. Let's go to Mark chapter 4. Mark 4, and we spent so much time in here this summer, so I won't go into it, and I encourage you that if you want to learn more about what we taught in Mark 4, you know, look at our church in the wild series as well as Faith Under Fire. Mark chapter 4, verse 16, and these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, and the ground being the heart, who when they have heard the word, immediately they receive it or they catch it with gladness or with a shout, and have no root in themselves, but they endure but for a time. Afterward, when affliction, which is pressure brought by circumstance, or persecution, which is pressure brought by people, arises for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. So what happens? They receive the word, so the enemy is sending pressure through circumstance and people their way. What is the goal? The picture Jesus painted at the beginning of Mark chapter 4, to scorch the produce of the word in their lives, so it makes it look like they never received the word in the first place. So the pressure came because they received the word. Pressure brought by people, people's words, people's actions. Pressure brought by circumstances. And they endured for a little bit, but eventually they let go of the word. And it says they were offended. This word offended means to put a stumbling block or impediment in the way upon which another may trip and fall. It means to entice to sin. It means to cause a person to begin to distrust and desert one whom we ought to trust and obey. It means to cause to fall away. Do you know we see that happen in Judas? He began, it enticed him to sin. He began to distrust and desert one whom he ought to trust and obey. He began to fall away. Did we see that in John the Baptist? He began to question who Jesus was. You see the elements of distrust and falling away beginning to form through those questionings. See, that's why Jesus said in John 16, 1, you read John 15 and 16, he says, I'm telling you these things that you, so that you will not become offended. Go to Matthew 13. And notice all the th people we've talked about so far are people who were offended at Jesus. Matthew 13, verse 54 
And when he, Jesus, was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Where's, where did this man get this wisdom from? Where did he get these mighty works from? Is this not the carpenter's son? Isn't his daddy Joseph? Isn't Mary his mama? His brethren, his brothers, James and Joseph and Simon and Judah, they all live with us. And his sisters, aren't they with us? So we know his entire family. So where did this man get all these things? And they were offended in him, but Jesus said unto them, a prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and his own house. And he did not many mighty works because of their unbelief. Skip over to Mark 6. We'll see a little bit more about the same story. This group became offended because they thought they knew Jesus. They said, well, we knew his family. We know his mama. We knew his daddy. We knew his brothers and sisters. So how did he become this person who's teaching us? What can we learn from him? Mark chapter 6, verse 5. And he could there do no mighty work, save that he laid his hands upon a few sick folk, which means people who had very minor elements, and he healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief, and he went round about the village teaching. And said so a few, a few in the Bible is from three to eight. So Jesus could only do between three to eight healings, and these were healings of very small natures, very small ailments. And they didn't say that he would not, Mark 6 makes it very clear. He could not. Why? The offense and the unbelief in the people blocked their miracles. Can you imagine how many people might have been in that congregation that were sick, that were oppressed, that needed the healing that the Messiah brought, but they couldn't even receive a miracle from Jesus because of the offense and the unbelief. You know, some people say, well, if Jesus was on the earth today, I would receive my miracle. I would receive my healing. Are you sure? Because there were thousands of people in his time that didn't. And one of the reasons we see here was because of unbelief and offense. Offense can lead to a hardened heart, which is the most dangerous and damning thing in the world. And offense can keep you from receiving your miracle. Offense can keep you from receiving restoration. Let's go to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 1. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were deceased. So when it says they saw the miracles, so they kept seeing and seeing and seeing. That's what the picture's painting in the Greek. So Jesus was doing miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And since he did this phrase in this verse, it's talking about the theatric and creative way that Jesus healed people. It was the greatest show ever in his theatric flair, the creative miracles. People had never seen this before. So they're watching him and following him closely after miracle, after miracle, after miracle, and the Jesus style and Jesus flair about it. And then after that, Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. And we know after this, we see the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and he feeds the thousands of people there. Let's skip down to verse 22. The day following, when the people which stood on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there save the one that his disciples were entered into, and that Jesus went not with his disciples into the boat, but that his disciples were gone away alone, howbeit there came other boats from Tiberias nigh unto the place where they did eat bread, after that the Lord had given thanks. 
When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, neither his disciples, they also took shipping and came to Capernaum, seeking for Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said unto him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus said and, and answered them, saying, Verily, verily, I'm telling the truth. Look, you're looking for me not because of the miracles, but because you did eat the loaves and were full. You're not here because of the miracles. You're not here because of the word I preach. You just want another meal. You just want another snack. You just were happy that I gave you more than enough, and you are filled, and you want another meal. And so he begins to preach for them. Preach to them, labor not for the meat which perishes, but for the meat which endures unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him has God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he has sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign shows thou that then that we may see and believe thee? What are you going to work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert. As is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Look, what are this is all about? Food. Jesus just fed them the day before. They had more than enough. It says it fed them till they were filled. It paints a picture of being stuffed, like after a Thanksgiving dinner, where he says, well, I shouldn't eat some more, but you already had a second, third, fourth serving, and then it's like, oh, I need some sweet potato pie with some marshmallows and some ice cream, and you are full. You are stuffed. You are slightly regretting the decision you made, but you're still trying to figure out how you can eat some more. That is how well Jesus fed them the day before. So they come, and Jesus is saying, you're not here because of the miracles. You just want to another meal. And so as Jesus preaches them, they answered, hey, what sign are you going to show us? And they try to use the Bible to impress Jesus as well. It is written that God fed them manna from heaven, so they're looking for more food. Cool, you multiply food, but can he make some food fall from the sky? So Jesus keeps preaching to them. He says, verily I say to you, Moses gave you not the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is, which, is he which comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. Then they said unto him, Lord, evermore, give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that comes to me shall never hunger, and he that believes on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that you also have seen me and believe not. You see me, you've seen the miracles, but you still don't believe. So Jesus begins to teach and describe himself as the bread of life. He's talking about the covenant that would become on earth. He's teaching them things that they could not get and they could not understand because of the condition of their own heart. They're choosing not to believe in their own heart and the condition of their mind and how they went to Jesus because they wanted another meal. It was the condition of their own heart that put them in this position. So they could not receive the word. Skip down to verse 59. These things said he in synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples, not just the crowd, but even his disciples, murmured at it, he said unto them, Does this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the spirit that quickens or gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you, that no man can come unto me except it was given him of my Father. 
From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So why did so many of that crowd leave? Why did even some of the disciples leave? Not the 12, but even some of the disciples, because there's a large crew that followed Jesus on a regular basis. Why did some of them begin to turn back? They were offended. Doesn't that fit within the definition? They said the message was hard to understand, hard to hear. And so they began to distrust and desert one whom they ought to trust and obey. And they began to fall away. They were offended at Jesus. And you have to understand, when we look at the Gospels, and Jesus said, I only say what I hear my Father say. I only do what I see my Father do. And Jesus is perfect. He is the love of God manifested in the flesh. He is the Son of love. So that means how he delivered this was perfect. And those who believe will receive and their life will be changed. So this lets me know that the problem wasn't even on Jesus and how he delivered it. Because he's Jesus, he's perfect. The problem was upon the people who heard it and the condition of their own heart, the condition of their own mind, and their decision opened them up to offense and caused them to fall away and walk away from Jesus. And even today, although he's not walking the earth in human form, although he has ascended in heaven, and although he lives on the inside of his believers, there are people today who are still offended at the words of Jesus and walk away. They are offended at the command of Jesus, and they walk away because his command is perfect. They're offended at the word of God. They don't like what it says. They don't believe what it says. They don't want to live this way anymore, and they're offended at it, and they turn away because the words of Jesus won't condone their sin, won't cause them to feel okay in the lifestyle they're living. They will like to stay in their lifestyle and find something that says, yeah, I can keep living this way. But what happens? They get offended and fall away. And because they choose their life, their sin, their whatever, opposed to Jesus, the process of hardening their heart increases, like we talked about last week. It's what Hebrews calls the deceitfulness of sin. Let's go to Matthew chapter 18. So it's enough to talk about people being offended about Jesus. Let's talk about other types of offense before we close. Matthew 18, verse 7. Woe unto the world because of offenses. For it must needs that offenses come, but woe to the man by whom the offense cometh. So Jesus says, there's trouble for the world because of the offense that's in the world. And offenses have come to everybody. There's nobody who will not run into an offense. Now remember, offense is an event. Being offended is a choice. But woe unto the person, judgment falls on the person who is creating stumbling blocks for others to make them trip up and be offended, who are choosing to live offensively or being offensive with their mouth or their posts or their tweets so that other people may be offended. So one of the things we see here, just from this verse, many things we can pull from it, is everybody will run into offense. There's not one single person who will not run into offense but being offended is a choice I'm not saying what happens doesn't hurt your feelings but you can make a decision from being having hurt feelings or being offended offense comes to everybody but you choose whether you will be offended or not look what Jesus has to say 
in Matthew 24, verse 10, describing the time we live in. And then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. So one of the things he describes the end time, he describes a lot of times, but even more increasing at the end, is offense and people being offended. And if we look, not just this year over the last few years, how quickly we as a culture get offended at anything, anybody in this nation offended. I'm not even talking about reasonable things and you stand up for justice and come against oppression. I'm not talking about that. Minor things because you don't like what a celebrity said or someone said. And so what is the first thing people do? They rush to social media, hashtag cancel that person. Cancellation culture is not kingdom culture. And you gotta understand, if you sow cancellation, you will reap cancellation. You know, so many people like to post on social media, I got all these haters, or maybe you got all these haters because you were a hater yourself. Offense is one of the hallmarks of the end times, people being offended. And sadly, being offended is not just something you see in the world, you see it throughout the church. And people feel justified in their offense, so they hold their offense as a badge of honor. But offense is dangerous. It can lead you down the path to having a hardened heart, which is the most dangerous and damning thing in the world. Offense comes to everyone, but being offended is a choice. Notice what Proverbs says about offense. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Proverbs 18, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 18. Actually, verse 19. It says, A brother offended is harder to be won than a strong city, and their contentions, that strife that comes from offense, are like the bars of a castle. So here's the thing about offense. It creates walls around a person's heart. It creates walls in a person's relationship. And it creates walls between that person and their relationship with God. And so it's hard to reach that person. And it's hard for that person to reach out because they are offended. And the writer here in Proverbs says it's harder to win that person than it is to take a city. And their strife is stronger than iron bars around castle windows. Have you put up walls in your life because you're offended? You see, one of the things about offense, offense leads to strife and bitterness. And we'll get into bitterness later on in the series and how to get that out of your life. But there's so many people who've become hurt because of stuff in life, and they become bitter, and they mask their bitterness as wisdom. And they spread their bitterness as wisdom. But it's really offense. It's rooted in offense, and their offense and their contention and strife has put a wall between them and others, a wall between them walking in the perfect will of God, and a wall for their, from their heart being healed the way it needed to be healed. Offense is dangerous. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. An offended heart leads to strife and bitterness, which is part of the process of the hardening of the heart. 
Uh, an offended heart leads to strife and bitterness, which is part of the process of the hardening of the heart. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 23. Notice what Paul tells Timothy, but foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender or create strife. And the servant of the Lord must not strive or be a person of strife, but be gentle unto all, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. If God peradventure will give them repentance to acknowledging of the truth, and that they may recover themselves out of the snare of the devil, who are taken captive by him at his will. So what happens to people after they're offended and they begin to operate in offense and strife? and they become a person of strife, they're in the snare of the trap of the devil. They don't know it, but they're already trapped. They're living their life, they're coming to church, they look like a good Christian, but they're already trapped. And as soon as he wants to, the enemy takes him captive at his will. And they begin to yield to his suggestions and his ways. Doesn't that sound like what happened to Judas? He got offended and the enemy was able to use him to betray. And there's so many people. No, they're not possessed because they can't be possessed if they're a believer. The Holy Ghost lives in the heart and the Holy Ghost doesn't take any roommates. But instead of yielding to the Holy Ghost, they start listening to the suggestions of the enemy and they become spreaders of strife. They are infecting others with strife. They are infecting others with offense and bitterness because now they're an agent of the enemy although they're saved although they got all the Christian t-shirts although they know the, all the Christian slogans although they go to all the Christian conferences although they're heading to heaven while they're on earth they become an agent of the devil because they yielded to offense and strife an offended heart leads to strife and bitterness which is part of the process of the hardening of the heart. You see, one of the things we have to realize is you can have offense happen to you and you didn't do anything wrong. A lot of people think people get offended into strife and it was their fault that it happened. No, there are things that can happen in life that is not your fault, but it can cause you to become offended. We'll get into the series. There are people who have experienced church hurt and you didn't do anything wrong and it hurts you but you're struggling with being offended right now. Some of you may have just got divorced and you didn't do, it wasn't your fault. I'm not saying you were perfect, but no one really can put any blame on you by anything. You knew it wasn't your fault, but now you're hurting your heart and you're struggling with being offended. Maybe, maybe you did all your best to raise your kids, did everything you can, got, kept them in the house of God, you know, fed them, clothed them, got them the best education, but something happened in your relationship where they haven't turned out the way that they should have. And then they blamed you for everything, and now you're dealing with offense toward them. Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're the child, and the parent wasn't there, and the parent didn't do what they're supposed to do, and it wasn't your fault, but now you're dealing with hurt in your heart and being offended towards your parents. Offense is real. And it doesn't always mean you did something wrong, but it's something you have to deal with it. It may not be your fault, but it is your fight. It may not be your fault, but it is your fight. 
See, we have to be like Paul in Acts 24, verse 16. He says, I always work to keep my heart free of offense toward God and free of offense toward others. This should be our goal, to make sure we keep our heart clear, our heart and conscience clear before God and make it free of offense toward others. That means we have to pay attention to our heart, or as we said at the very beginning, guard our hearts. Go to Mark 11, verse 25. You cannot get caught up in the offense of the world. You just can't do it. And I'm telling you, we're already high into election season, and we're at a point where both conventions have finished, and the debates are coming, and more things are going to happen before election day, but you need to make a decision that you're not going to be offended. I don't care what political party you're in. I'm not talking about who you're voting for. I'm not talking about platforms. I'm talking about your heart. You need to make sure you don't be offended at any candidate running, any presidential candidate, vice presidential candidate, senate candidate, governor candidate, whoever on the list, up and down the ticket. You need to make a decision that you're not going to get offended at them. There are tons of people today who are offended at people they've never met and they will never meet. They're offended because of what they saw on TV, what they saw on Twitter, what they saw on other social media platforms, and you're offended and having struggles in your heart, and that person don't know you, don't care about you, don't even think about you. You gotta watch your own heart. You have to guard your own heart and make sure you're not going into offense, which leads to strife and bitterness, the process of the hardening of the heart, which is the most dangerous and damning thing in the world. You must guard your heart. Mark chapter 11. So what do you do if you offended right now or in the process even of strife and bitterness? What do you do if you're struggling with offense? Mark 11 verse 25. And when you stand praying, forgive if you have aught against any. What do you do? You forgive. That's why we say very often, I forgive everybody of everything. So say it. Say, I forgive everybody of everything. Why do we say it so frequently? Because whatever you practice, you'll eventually perfect. Whatever you practice, you'll eventually perfect. And if you practice forgiveness when you don't need to forgive somebody, it'll be easier to forgive them when you do. And then one of the things you'll find out, the more you say it and the more you practice it, when you need it, it will come out your mouth. I remember there are times and there was one person who I believe was completely in the wrong and did something and I was working to forgive them. I forgive them already. I forgave them by faith, even though my emotions didn't feel like it. And sometime later that day or later that week, what they did came up in my mind. I was upset all over again. And so I did exactly what I'm teaching you. I said, I forgive everybody of everything. I forgive them. And then it popped out of my spirit and out of my mouth. They don't even owe me an apology. What happened? How did that come out? Because I had been practicing forgiveness. And that led me down the path of not even being bothered by what they did. See, it may not be your fault, but it is your fight to keep your heart free of offense. Now, you may have experienced stuff in relationships or places that has offended you. I'm not saying you have to go back to that place. I'm not saying you have to go back to that relationship, but I am telling you, you got to let it go in your heart. You need to get your heart right. There are some people, even in their march for justice and reconciliation, which is important, They said, no, we won't forgive as we go forward. No, if you don't forgive, it will kill you on the inside. 
Yes, push for justice. Yes, push for reconciliation. But doing so, forgive so your heart is clear and your heart is healthy. Because if you don't, all you're striving for what's right and what's good, your heart will become hardened and not the place it should be, not a place that God can use. You must forgive everybody of everything. If you're going to watch the debate, it may be just good for you as you turn on the debate. says, you know what? I forgive that person. I forgive that person. I forgive the reporters asking the questions. I forgive the people who are going to talk about the debate afterwards. What are you doing? Practicing forgiveness. And we live in a time where the offense is real and is about to increase. I'm telling you, it's about to get turned up to another level. But don't be swept up in the offense of the world. Forgive everybody of everything. Because as you walk in forgiveness, you'll be able to have those eyes I see. You'll be able to live out one of our faith confessions. So say it with me. Say, I take eyes to see. I take ears to hear. I forgive everybody of everything. I receive supernatural debt cancellation. The word of God that I'm receiving right now is enable me and empower me to make Jesus famous in my everyday life. Now we say that every experience, but the thing is, if we live in offense, it can stop us from receiving those things. It can stop us from having ears to hear, eyes to see. It can get in the way of our supernatural debt cancellation. It can get in the way of us being used by God the way we should be used. So we must forgive everybody of everything. Let's go to Ephesians 4 and close here. Ephesians 4. Verse 32. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, not hard-hearted, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So don't forgive others as the people say, I'll forgive, but never forget. No, forgive, just like God forgave you because of what Jesus did. Chapter 5, verse 1, be ye therefore followers, that word followers means imitators of God, as dearly beloved children, and walk in love. As Christ also has loved us and has given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Be imitators of God. Forgive others as God has forgiven you. Imitate how God does. You know, a friend of mine did a study of this word, talking about this word imitator, that when you look at the word Greek, it's where we get the word meme from. You know, one of the things about memes, you know, they take a situation, something, and they, you know, they exaggerate it and share it for laughs or whatever on social media. And it's transmitted through culture and becomes viral because of the meme. So the thing is, you're supposed to make kingdom cultural viral through you living out the meme of forgiveness and loving others. By you making a choice to forgive, by you making a choice to walk in love, you're transmitting kingdom culture wherever you go. You must make a decision today to operate in forgiveness, to not hold on to what someone else did. You see, some people hold on to offense and say, I will never forgive them, thinking that it's hurting the other person. But as I've heard it said by so many people for some, on so many different occasions, refusing to forgive somebody is like drinking poison, thinking it's going to hurt the other person. And so many of us have poisoned our own lives 
because we refuse to forgive. You must make a decision to forgive everybody of everything. If you want to live a life where your heart is free of offense toward God and toward others. And as you make a decision to guard your heart against being offended, you'll be able to walk in a place of freedom and walk in a heart where your heart place where your heart is tender-hearted and soft towards God and not on the process of becoming hardened into a place where it's the most dangerous and damning thing in the world. Before we go, a lot of you have choices you need to make right now. Some of you just need to forgive that person. And some of you are offended at people who aren't even alive anymore. You gotta let it go. I know what they did was wrong, but you have to let it go. I know what they did wasn't right, but you have to let it go. So as you let it go right now, Jesus will be able to heal your heart. One of the things we get into in the series, he is the healer of the broken heart. He will restore your soul. He'll bind up the pieces of your heart and make it whole again. But what you need to do is let go of your offense. Put your heart in his hands. Trust him with it, and he will heal it. So wherever you're watching, say it with me. Say, I forgive everybody of everything. I let every offense go. I choose to live free of offense. And like Paul, I want my heart always to be free of offense toward God and free of offense toward others. Praise God. Thanks for watching today. We hope today's message was a blessing to you that it empowered you to make Jesus famous in every area of your life. Hey, if you want to be a part of what God's doing here at Faith, you know, our vision statement is to ignite an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world through the power of the love of Jesus. And we'd love for you to be a part. You can find out our different experience times and our different locations by going to FCCGA.com. If you want to give, you can text FCCGA to 73256. You can also go to FCCGA.com to give online and be a part of what God's doing here. We'd love to see you anytime you're in our area. We believe God has something good just for you. And anytime you come to our faith experience, we believe you will experience God and his plan for your life. So thank you for tuning in today. We'll see you next time.